Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Welcome to Believe in Celtics, brought to you by Bet Online. I am Warren Shaw. He is the great Gary Washburn, and we are your host and resource for everything Celtics this past season, as the Boston Celtics are no longer still playing in the NBA playoffs, losing in the Eastern Conference Finals in seven games to the Miami Heat. Gary, it's been a minute. You've been on a whirlwind tour covering the Celtics roster over the course of the final two rounds here. Uh, obviously, I have a lot to get into, but first and foremost, my guy, got to ask how you're doing. Oh, everything's good. Everything's good. Uh, you know, tough into the season for Celtic fans. Uh, I know they had high hopes for uh, winning a championship, and the path seemed to be there for them to do that. Um, but it just wasn't meant to be, and there's a lot of issues this team has to address. And quite honestly, you know, um, they just weren't good enough at the key moments, the pivotal moments. And, you know, the one thing about, and as you know, Warren, about the Miami Heat is they expose uh, your weaknesses. They they show you, they they hand you a mirror and show you all the little, you know, you, you think you're, you're feeling good about yourself and you're uh, looking good. And they're the ones that, you know, show you a mirror and go, well, your mustache isn't quite, you know, trimmed to, you know, this is a little uneven here. And, uh, you know, your eyes are a little bit better. You know, you could have got some more sleep here. And, uh, you know, that shirt doesn't quite match those those pants. Like they, they point out all your little crevices and issues and set, like they, they point them out. And in, on the biggest stage, a team like the Celtics that thought that they were not flawless, but as close to championship ready as anyone uh, ended up not being that way because the heat, you know, put them on blast with some things that, that, that has been issues. And you follow this team more and as close as anybody all season. Yeah. And you knew they're going to get burned. They're going to get burned. It might not be, you know, with some of the inferior opponents and wasn't the Hawks. It barely wasn't the Sixers, but the Heat, you know, which do superior scouting, superior scouting reports. They know your weaknesses, expose them, and now they kind of got to start all over and do a, a whole new unfinished business, 2023-24. <laughs> Don't do them like that, G. Don't do them like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, oh, man. I, 
that was something else for, for sure. Well, we're going to dive right into um, the conversation, the Eastern Conference Finals here on Believe in Celtics. And then obviously in the break, we will kind of talk about the summer ahead. First, we got to, you know, make sure you give us a five-star rating on whatever your podcast platform is. Uh, make sure you give Gary a follow at G Washburn Globe on Twitter. You can give me a follow at Shaw Sports NBA. Make sure you follow Believe Network and at Believe Sports as well. So as you were touching in here too about the Miami Heat being, you know, the, the un- Un, unhappy mirror that that the Celtics had to look into as you as we talk about this on on our show all the time obviously I live in the South Florida area and all they can talk about all Miami fans can talk about was like how how much they would have vote racist team if Tyler Hero was available and and the heat were actually healthy how much worse it could have been for Boston say la vie none of that even matters at the end of the day this the the, the heat got it done and the Celtics didn't um game seven you were there. I want to kind of get into the overall feeling because it seemed like the crowd was ready to explode. And obviously Tatum turns his ankle in the very first play of the game. I want to ask how much you feel that that was a determining factor for the game seven outcome specifically. But I just got to say this for Celtic fans that are out there. They shouldn't have even been in game seven. Game six was a miracle. They collapsed. They legitimately collapsed at the end of that game. And gave Jimmy Butler three free throws after collapsing, you know, in, in the meetings proceeding to, proceeding to that and get a miracle tip by Derek White to, in essence, save their season to force a game seven. But they shouldn't have even been there to begin with, to be honest. So I had to kind of get that out. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, how much do you think Tatum's t- turned ankle dictated the outcome of game seven or were we always fated to kind of be this way? Yeah, Warren, I don't know if people how, knew how bad it was until like the forthcoming, like next several minutes. Remember, he had. One, he hit a free throw off that foul by Gabe Vincent, and he didn't score for the rest of the first quarter. I think they brought him out at the six-minute mark. So mid-mate through second quarter, he had one point. And then people were like, wow, he's not moving well. And I think I tweeted that out, like, he doesn't look himself. So I think that's when the fans started to realize Tatum's not right. He doesn't have that, that burst, that explosion. He is out there laboring. Um, but I also think, you know what, uh, Warren, they lost this game in the first six minutes. They had Miami down nine to four. And I want to say two to three chances to increase the lead to 12 to four. Remember, game five, they jumped on Miami 20 to five. Yeah. Miami, they played even from that. The Suns won the game by 13 points, and there were some garbage time hoops and all that. But Miami got punched in the face. They came back, but they could never overcome that double-digit deficit. The Celtics ended up looking convincing, winning pretty convincingly. But the key was jumping out 20-5. to In this game, Miami, I think, started 2-for-11. And I think the Celtics had a chance to get that crowd really into it, 17-4, to 20-4. You have to be sharp every game. And when your offense, when you – what were they – Okay, so they were 9 for 42 in game four, sorry, game seven, and seven for 35 in game six. So that's 13, my my math right, my Los Angeles public school math. That was um, 16 for 77. Okay, that's what got them. Like, you, you were right. Like, they were lucky to win game six, but they were also good from the two-point line. They attacked the rim. Yeah. They got some easy hoops. They got some dunks. They were slicing and dicing Miami in the paint. They dominated the paint. So that's how you win games. 
Warren, if the three isn't going down, you go to the two. Okay, so they took 35. So that's not a lot for Joe Mazzulli. He wants him to take 45 to 50 damn near. So for him, that was like, well, we won, but we didn't take enough threes. So they took seven more threes in game seven, but they didn't establish nothing in the paint, and they lost. They scored 84 points in the biggest game of the season. This real crushing disappointment for this franchise, for a franchise that feels like they were ready. They were all set up. They felt like they matched up pretty well with Denver. I think it would have been a pretty good series. I would probably give Denver the favor because I think Denver is uh, a focused ball club right now. Um, and they let themselves, like Jalen said, they let the city down. Like there was a collective, like, what the hell just happened here? And you watched the Miami Heat celebrate on your floor, just like you did the Golden State Warriors the year before and, and, the, and the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2018. You go five and six at home in the playoffs. You lose three home games in the series. Like Miami came and won three times at the Garden. If you, the Celtics won twice in Miami. If you win one more game at home, you win the series. So you can't, you're not protecting home court. That's got, that's something, I don't know how they improve that, but the whole like we're a better road team, that shouldn't be the case. And that's good to be a good road team, but you don't want to be a better road team than better at home. And they just, the offense was inept. And Miami's role players and all they, what they did, they all played their roles. Mm-hmm. Jimmy was good that night after having really been terrible until the final four minutes of game six. Bam out of bio was sharp. Caleb Martin was unconscious again. Like I thought he was, I, I voted him MVP of the series. I thought he bailed them out of game two when they were about to get buried. Early in, in game two in the second quarter when the Celtics were up, I think, 42-29. And Miami went on, like, I want to say, a 15 up. Miami went on a 19 nothing run just like the Celtics did in that game. And that was sparked by Caleb Martin. And every time Caleb Martin was open, he was draining them. He outplayed Tatum and Brown in that series. And I just think all their guys, Duncan Robinson, who you, you, you lived down there, was virtually, they were, he was banished to the bench yep. until Tyler Hero got hurt. And he comes off the bench and scores 18 points, like 10 points, but 18 in a couple of games. Like, So the Celtics got some problems, and we can talk about those and issues to address. Not major issues. Okay, they're not there. When the FanDuel and all those folks release their odds, when this series is over the finals, the Celtics will be favored, or if not behind Denver, to, you know, win the to win it all again. They'll be in the top three teams. To, to, to get to the finals, to win the championship. They'll be a betting favorite. You know, I'm sure if the Nuggets win, I'm sure they'll be favorite. Then maybe the Celtics. But they have some issues to show up if they don't want to repeat this getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and losing in seven games. Before we close out this finals conversation here, Gary, uh, Eastern Conference Finals conversation, you know, I want to uh, give you credit for, you know, I heard you in the postgame pressers. Right. And you were pressing Missoula. Um, I didn't even say pressing. You were asking journalistic questions. And, you know, I think there were times his demeanor in those things can be a little bit off putting if you are a journalist or a fan of the, of the team. You're just kind of like, you know, why is it so dry? Why is there not like an overall sense of urgency to that aspect? We're going to talk about Joe coaching, et cetera, et cetera, in the next segment, kind of more in depthly. 
quickly your overview of his adjustments in the conference finals specifically obviously being down 03 getting back into the series so he's got to get credit for to some degree for that as well too but what was your overall impressions of him in his first conference finals kind of keeping it specific to that uh i mean i thought i'd give him a c i mean spolstra was coaching circles around him it just seemed like warren like they didn't prepare for miami like they just didn't have a definitive set game plan. They just thought we can be ourselves and we're going to beat this team. And Miami came out in game one at 46. And I just think they said that that whole 46 point third quarter changed the entire series. I think the Celtics, like, I think the Celtics were up like seven in the first half. Like it looked like in the first half, they came out like we're the better team. We, we, you, you ain't, you ain't, ain't going to Milwaukee us, right? You're not going to do that. It's this our series. And then that 46.3 quarter, I think, changed the entire series because the Celtics were never the same team after that. They were always chasing from behind. They were on edge in game two. And I just think the lack of adjustments, the inability to deal with the zone defense, um, his ro- crazy rotations, Grant in here one minute. Uh, I, I thought they just, you know, not using Sam Hauser, like, I felt Sam Hauser was a guy that and you were around last year, Warren, like he was on the roster, but he wasn't ready. And this year, Gallinari goes down in August, tears his ACL in the, in the Euro Cup. So the guy that they got to stretch the floor and hit some threes and to be that guy, that difference maker is gone. Brad Stevens told us Sam Hauser can fill that role. He's 6'8". He can stretch the floor. Sam Hauser played 80 games during a regular season, and he shot 42% from three. That's pretty good, right? Hey, you know, that's not Steph Curry, but damn, anything in the 40s is, is outstanding. And he didn't play him in the playoffs. He didn't play him in his series, but Miami somehow found a role for Duncan Robinson because he is a threat, as we saw, and he's a threat for backdoor plays. Why couldn't you do that with Hauser? Why? Where is your lack? Where's your creativity with your lineups? Where is Peyton Pritchard? Where is the guys, you know, if you need some muscle, some fouls, where's Blake Griffin? I'm not talking about playing Blake Griffin 30 minutes, but you saw Sprolster throughout the series. Okay, Kevin Love, this ain't you. We're going to put you to the bench, start Caleb Martin. Okay, Cody Zeller, your minutes were terrible. You're not playing in game seven. And in, 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 um, in game six, you know, after games, like there were so many adjustments that Spolstra made. And I just didn't see the same from Missoula. It was let's rely on our talent. Where's the game plan? You know, and I get it. If you move the ball and you hit threes, you're going to win. But what about when you don't hit threes? You know, and I just felt like, there wasn't a lot of adjustments made, and they. I think they won. And Jason Tatum's told me something very interesting. Like they played relaxed after they fell behind three nothing, with nothing to lose. That's why they were to me they were successful, and they won Game Four and then won Game Five because they were supposed to lose this series after that, and then Game Six they dominated until the last four minutes, then almost blew it, but. I didn't see the major adjustments. I saw 
Spolster moving his chess pieces. Okay, let me try that. Oh, let me try that. Let me try that. Let me throw that out. Let me throw that wrinkle. You knew in game seven he was going to have something different. And what they do, I think they switched more than half the pick and rolls uh, that they had not done all series. I think they had, I think they had switched something like I read 30%, 25% of the pick and rolls during the first six games, and they switched 50, I want to say, 50% in game seven. Yeah. Spolster adjustment. Let, like, let, let me ask you this. this one. Like, so that's like, that was a difference. Missoula was, in some cases, sleepwalking. And maybe it's his arrogance, his stubbornness, but it wasn't like he was trying a lot of stuff and it failed. I didn't see that. I saw him say, we're good enough to beat you guys as we are, and they were. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. I, I got, I'm going to ask this last thing because I, I, you know, obviously we're on a little bit of a tangent here, but there's a lot to dive into. And obviously we haven't had a conversation in a minute, but I thought he says something at the end of the press conference in game seven. And I don't remember who asked it, maybe John Corrales or something like that. They, somebody had asked him about Tatum and the game plan after Tatum switched, hurt his ankle did the game plan change and flat out said, no, you know, just play through it. And I just, to me, in a lot of ways, that's almost malpractice. Uh, why do you continue to have him in the same spots in some ways trying to create um, on a bum ankle? You know, why can't he operate from the nail? Why can't he operate even a little bit from the post? I'm not saying Tatum is a back to the basket type player. And that's not it at all, but give, give Miami some different looks, take some pressure off of Tatum in essence, in a way to try to manufacture offense in a way that you haven't been able to do it. And we obviously we, we need to talk about Jalen Brown and the eight turnovers and, and all of that. And we'll get to that like, obviously in the next segment. But some of that stuff to me is where you're just like, all right, when after games, you know, four and five, where we thought we might have been seeing a little bit of growth and even parts of game six, how do you just revert and reverse skate? And it's almost exactly what you said when now that they came all the way back. And in some ways, the pressure was back on them being the home team. They just couldn't. And he he himself, as a leader of the organization on the coaching sidelines, also shrunk in that moment. And I think it's hard. As a first-year coach, he can obviously get better. But I think that's where some of the things that were really frustrating to, to witness, even as a basketball fan, it's just like, do something. You know what that mean? It was like, you can't stick, do something. <laughs> it's yeah. just the totally. same situation over and over again totally like you said and it's that defiance and i said i like joe i'll say this like people think we don't get along or joe hates you doesn't he he does not hate me and we've talked off the record we've had conversations we're fine yeah. you know he's like you got a job to do and my job is to protect my players i respect him have full respect for him but i do sense like a sense of defiance and stubbornness that i don't think serves him well um, because you guys failed. Al Horford said it was a failure. Yep. He said it was a failure. Like, you know, and we can, you know, much respect to the, the comments Giannis made after losing to Miami that <laughs> it wasn't a failure. It's an experience. And I get all that, but this team failed. And it's not like failed miserably. You didn't lose in the first round and to Atlanta. Or you didn't lose to Philly, but you got this far in game seven. You would have asked for that home game. You can't protect home. Like you said, no adjustments. Malcolm Brogdon, those seven minutes where he was minus 15, 
Like he just want like protect him from himself. Like Malcolm, you're not playing tonight. Right. Like it's like Spo trying to throw Tyler Hero out there. Tyler probably could have, you know, probably probably talked Spo into Spo. Spo knows Hero. He's not playing in game one of the finals. Hero's not playing until he's ready. Yeah. That's the Miami way. Okay. Like you don't throw Brogdon out there when he has an elbow injury and a shooting arm and defensively they're targeting him. And we can talk about him and his role in the next segment, but Brogdon's someone I think they're going to have to figure out what to do with him. And that was a ghastly stretch. As my colleague Adam Himmelsbach noted, they were up three points when they put Brogdon in for those seven minutes and he left there down 12. Like, that was a huge stretch. And this is a win or lose. Some of those times, your mistakes are in the first half. Like, Tatum kind of warmed up here and there. He had his moment. He had the dunk. You know, and there was a play where he missed the layup that I think could have cut it to eight. Yeah. yeah uh, like they're down nine, and it could have cut it to something like that. Like, opening of, this, of, the, of the fourth quarter, Tatum gets rim run, tries to lay it in pretty. Yeah, this is, I think it could have cut it to six, actually. Yeah, could, yeah, I think it was eight. Could have cut it to six, and then it, such such hit, uh, was it Caleb Martin again, <laughs> or it might have been Jimmy. Jimmy takes a one of those line drive threes. And I seen him working on that shot. He can hit it. Like I seen him before the game. Like Jimmy ain't. He knows his limits, but he can hit that three. I'm not talking about he's Steph or nothing. But when he gets going, he gets that lift uh, on his three. Because he's such a line drive shooter, he can hit that. And then it was an eleven point game, and you saw the Celtics were somewhat were, were done. And to me, it's just the little things. And this is not the it's not huge things. It's just little things. The lack of adjustments, like you said, not adjusting when Tatum is obviously physically hobbled. Put him in the middle of that zone. Let him just take pop a shot from the middle yep. because you don't have anybody else to do it. Or Tell Al Horford, hey, Al. Look at the rim. <laughs> look at the rim. You're, yeah. you're damn near seven feet. And I did a, you know, my story today is a, it's funny. So in Al's fourth year, when he's, he, he made an all-star team in his third year in Atlanta, his, so I took his fourth year, 99.5% of his shots were, for two, were tubes. He was a two-point specialist. Mm-hmm. He did not take threes in Atlanta. This year, 32% of his shots this year were twos. That's drastic. Then, yes. <laughs> drastic. And then 27%, I believe, in the playoffs. Al has stopped being a post presence. Like, and Miami was like, no, beat us in, beat us in the paint. And Do all, Al, you know, <laughs> take that short eight-footer. And the Celtics didn't have, besides Tatum, didn't have anybody who could do that. And that's is that Joe? Is that not playing the, your, some of your guys? Not playing Hauser? Not playing, uh, you know, Peyton Pritchard for a little spark in the first half when it's obvious Brogdon is not himself? Use Peyton in those minutes. I don't know. This is this like if he if he goes down trying, Warren. I understand. Like, hey man, I tried everything. We yeah. just lost. Tip your cap. You're not in the finals. It's okay. But when you knew you could do more and your stubbornness or this like 
we're just going to stick to the script. That's the frustrating part, I'm sure, for Celtics fans. Well, this is a great time, I think, to take a break. Um, we said we'd go short. We couldn't help ourselves. Eastern Conference had a lot to dive into. Uh, but we will take a quick break here. You know, our final, I guess, regular season or, or whatever you want to call this now, because we're definitely in the offseason now here now. <laughs> um, our final genome time segment here for, for, for Believe in Celtics. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be right back here on the other side of this break here on Believe in Celtics. <laughs> And on this week's edition of Geno Time here, I believe, on Celtics, brought to you by Bet Online, it is time to assess the summer to come for Boston. First half of the show, we talked about the conference finals, lack of adjustments from, from Joe Mazzulla. And now we need to kind of dive into what's going to happen with this roster. Obviously, a lot of conversations burning on Twitter. Do you break up the Jays? They're going to cost you half a billion dollars to kind of keep everything together. What do you do with Malcolm Brogdon? Galinari's, I would assume, be back next next year at some point. Um, can he actually contribute? Do you just run it back in that capacity? But let's kind of start where we finished, not to pick on Joe Mazzula. But what are you hearing? Is there any stretch of the imagination that the Celtics would move on from Mazzula? Um, I, I think it might have been more likely had they got swept. But coming back into the series, um, you know, they don't owe Yudoka any more money now that he's obviously in, in Houston. Um, but it would be a fourth coach in four years, and that could be the continuity, that the message that you don't want to send. Do you think Missoula did enough to at least retain his job? I'll go first, more or less, by saying, again, had they got swept, I think he might have been out of there. They have to, and you brought this up um, about two months ago, they have to bolster him, though. They have to give him some top-level assistance, and I think if they do that, maybe the outcomes can be different for this team moving forward. And maybe some of that defiance that we saw him exhibit in the press conference and on the sidelines, maybe some of that will relax if he can have some assistants who've been there before to some degree and can give him some, I want to say pointers, but just some help, you know, and some guidance and, and, and reading the game flow. Like, hey, we may need to look at this now or this guy on the roster down on the bench. Maybe we need it's time to give him a shot. That's my take on it. You're closer to it than I am, though, Gary. What's your sense of Joe Mazzulla being able to retain his job in Boston? Yeah, Warren, I do think he'll stay. I think if they were going to, unless like perhaps it's one of those situations where in some postseason meetings with him, he comes and says, like, this is how I want to do it. And maybe there's a difference of philosophy, like, uh, you know, like Nick Nurse in Toronto, where it was obvious management and the coach, or not on the same page. And Toronto said, you know what, Nick, it's been nice. You led us to a title, but you know, we're going to get a coach who aligns more with us and what we're trying to do. And you can go. And now Nick's in Philadelphia. Um, unless there's a situation, I believe where Missoula comes in and just says, listen, this is how I'm going to do it. This is what I'm going to do. You know, this is what I feel. And, and it's, and it's defiant and it's not on, aligned with management, I think he keeps his job. But I also think he's going to be on a, I don't like to use the word leash. I don't like to use that with humans in terms right. of being on a short leash, but just his uh, the margin for error. <laughs> yes, to be shorter. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I thought, and, and, and the question is, and I'm sure Braxton will be asked this about not adding to the staff in midseason when you lost David Stoudemire, not adding at the beginning of the season when you lost Will Hardy and you lost your damn head coach. 
three major guys that were on the staff last year were gone. And you didn't do anything to replace them. At least put Allison Feaster on the bench. If Now, she might not want to do that, but she's not, got a bright basketball mind. I'm sure she could have offered suggestions too. Okay? You did nothing. You had e- – sorry, Joe and whatever was left of Emay's staff. And as I reported today, many of them are headed for Houston hmm. to join their old friend Emay Udoka. So now you've got some real openings on the staff, probably four to five. Okay. It's time to go old school, whether it be a Sam Mitchell, whether it's somebody who knows the damn game. There's plenty of guys on television. There's plenty of guys who are scouting on other staffs that you can pull. Sam Cassell, hey, he's out there being on docs. There are some guys who are out there that you can pull in and would love to be assistant coach with the Celtics, love to work with Jason and Jalen, and perhaps if it doesn't work with, with Missoula, who could become the head coach. I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to revamp his staff. They're going to and, – and I don't know and, – and, and, you know, this is a relationship business. <laughs> Warren, I don't know how many relationships Joe has with, like, veteran coaches. I know, like, he's got – he had one. Like, I think uh, Spolcher said that they had gotten to know each other, but – you know, it's all built on relationships. So sometimes bringing in assistance is guys that you know. You've worked mm-hmm. with in previous stops. You're on the same staff. Uh, you might be still on the same staff in a college job. So anybody you probably bring in is not going to have a great relationship with Joe because they don't know him. They're going to have to make that work. And that's the thing. And that's where it can get kind of when you don't. Now, will they let Joe compile his own staff? And who is he staff? Gonna be that's my that was my issue with 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 uh, Brad Stevens, Brad Rob his Butler buddies, guys you know who were good guys, but it's like you don't have any old heads in the staff, you don't have any former NBA players in your staff, you don't have a guy that Tatum can look to and be like, okay, you played twelve years in this league, I get what you're saying, yeah, you know, a guy who could be his big brother, you know, I think they should bring a guy like Jerome Allen in Detroit who's now. Bring him back. He's a very close relationship with, I mean, you know, he left when Brad left because he wasn't going to be part of email staff. Bring him back as one of your lead assistants. This is a guy who's very close to the Jays, right? Played in the league, is a big brother. They ain't a big brother. Unfortunately, Warren, email was like their uncle, and they respected that. He was like the old head. He was the dude you didn't step to. You know, he was that uncle at the bar- at the barbecue. You didn't you, when he's talked, you listen. Yes, sir. You know, you played dominoes. You 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 know, you didn't talk stuff to Unc. That was E-May. Joe was more of a big brother in a sense because it's you know it's hard to be thirty four coaching twenty five and twenty six year olds. Like there's a level of older, but not that older, and you didn't play in the league. You know, you played high-level D1, great, good. Like, Missoula's got that resume. Played at West Virginia, went to the Final Four, but that was it. So I think they have to revamp the coaching staff. And then that's what – and I think that softens the job for Brad, who doesn't have to remove someone. Now, in case of ownership, if ownership felt like, you know, I'm going to throw this out there, Warren. 
they felt like Doc Rivers wanted to come back. If Doc and Wick, now I know Doc didn't necessarily leave on the best terms in Boston. He didn't want to be part of a rebuilding plan. You know, they didn't, you know, it was kind of like, wow, Doc, the minute the big three get out of here, you're just going to bail to L.A. and go golf. And, and, and it, you know, but let's say Doc. Now, let's say Wick says, you know what? And Doc says, man, I know what to do with those guys. You know, and I'll hold the job for, you know, he's 61. I'll hold the job for three or four years or two or three years, line my staff for some veterans and some young coaches, and then you guys, you know, one, one of those guys will be ready to take over, and then you guys can have a coach for the next 10 to 15 years. Hmm. Now, if Wick had, I, I think this ownership would make that decision. And let, let's say that was in place. Okay, and Wick, you know, Wick's like, you know what, I'm going to eat the $14 million, and then you got to pay. Now you got to pay Doc and all that. But for sure. <laughs> that would be an investment. But that would be, because to me, Warren, here's the bottom line. And that's why, like, in usual circumstances, I would not say you have to make think about firing Missoula. But in this situation, when your championship window is now, okay, like it was supposed to be this year. They, if they faced Denver, it might have been even, but they might have been the favorites in the series, and they had home court advantage. Your championship window is right now. So next year, you have to think. You've got to get a chip out of Jason and Jalen. Two, no more Eastern Conference Finals appearances. That's great. You went to the finals once. You need a coach that's going to take them there next year. Is that Joe? Will he make it? Will he elevate enough from year one to year two with a bolstered staff to do that? You have to be convinced that's the case. If not, you got to think about making a move and bringing a guy in who's not going to get out coached by some of the top five or ten coaches in the league, who's not going to be stubborn. And I don't, I don't care about me as a media member, but sell the organization more. Like Doc is a guy who you love. Everybody loves Doc. And Doc's a hustler. Not all of what Doc says is true. <laughs> but damn it, Doc makes you feel like a million dollars when you finish talking to him. Doc is Doc is a good guy in terms of like, you know, he puts your hand, he puts his hand on your shoulder. You feel, hey, start <laughs> grinning. That's Doc. Joe is laser focused, scowl, the Belichick style. Now, when you won six Super Bowls, you can do that. You won three Super Bowls, you can do that. When you haven't won anything, you sort of have to sell the franchise. Now, does management look at his relationship with the media? And I'm not talking about me, but just how hard he is sometimes on with some of the other media members too, the television host, Adam Chin, that, you know, he's short. Do people, do they look at that and go, you know what? That's not selling us. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not what we want to see. Or they're like, you know what? That's him. He's a great, smart guy. It all depends on what they're looking for, Warren. And to me, I said something you got to think about, but you got to have a plan in place if you do that. You got to have a doc ready to come in. I don't think Monty Williams is going to be available much longer. I think he's about to go to Detroit. Uh, you've got to have a guy who you know is ready to come in there, plug in and play. And if not, you keep Missoula, and I think they will do that and have him bolster his staff. I, I probably expect Brad Stevens tomorrow to say that we're going to, they're going to keep him because if he avoids the question, 
then we know something might be going on. And I don't know whose fault it was for not adding to the staff, but they got to make up for that because that was a real mistake. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, um, we'll go ahead and, you know, wish Joe Missoula the best, um, whatever that may look like here going into the offseason. And I'll, let's talk a little bit more about what Brad's job has to do outside of bolstering the rest of the coaching staff. So the conversations obviously have been raised about Jalen Brown and, and what the Celtics need to do with him offering him that, you know, super max uh, listen, last impression here, game seven, eight turnovers um, in a game where Tatum turns his ankle, wasn't able to step up to the proverbial plate. A lot of people who were really high on Jalen have suddenly jumped off. Um, what's your thought on, on Jalen's mindset, the Celtics mindset and how they feel about Jalen himself is the stuff to Atlanta or is he really kind of tired of being in the, in the trade conversation? Is he going to try to get his bag first and then request a trade down the line? It's kind of what's your sense of the Jalen Brown situation in Boston. Yeah. When I think he will come back, I think they'll resign him. Um, but Jalen's at a crossroads. Like he's got to have a come to Jesus moment. Like he was exposed in this series. And, uh, I just heard on, a. uh, it might have been Dan Pat or Rich Eisen show. Uh, Caleb Martin saying the plan was always to force him to go left. Like simple stuff. And when, just like last year, the Warriors are like, yep, Tatum, go left. You can't go left as strong as you go right. So when, when the scouting report is out on you like that, it's time for you to go radio silent, get into the lab, get over your depression. I get it. He's down, motivate you. Be like Rocky and before Rocky, before he fought Drago, <laughs> go somewhere. If you need to go overseas somewhere and hide out and get into a gym and get a coat from somebody, not one of your homeboys and get to work, work on your handle, handle. work, you know, work, work on your free throw shooting, work on all of what you feel like is your weakness, especially the fundamentals. Become, you know, look, look, look to be a more pinpoint passer because, when you make second team all NBA and you bomb out in the biggest game of your life or one of them, people, and you know, NBA social media is going to come after you and they're going to call you a fraud. They're going to say you're not that good. I think he's a good ball player. I've seen him grow over the years. Obviously, uh, <laughs> like I followed him at Cal because I, I, once upon a time I went to Cal, so I knew who he was the minute he arrived on campus and we signed him. And, uh, you know, we don't really sign many top 10 prospects. I don't know if you follow Cal Sports, but this was a rare opportunity to sign a top five guy, top 10 guy. And so I've been following him ever since the day he committed. And he has improved his game vastly. But there's some holes. Being more consistent from the three-point line, being more consistent dribbler, being a better playmaker. This is what you go from good to elite. You want to be a top 10 player? You want to make $295 million over five years, $659 million a year? That's what you get into the lab. If I'm jailed, I'm not worried about the money. Like, I'm worried about improving my game. I'm more worried about my reputation as a player than I am, I got to get maxed. Like, because ownership points is like, well, what about game seven, Jalen? Like, what about when we needed you and you didn't come through? I'm not talking about like they're going to throw that in his face, but. You should be be more concerned about being a great player and the money will be there. 
with this that new part. television deal coming up, and I was talking with some colleagues just now, Amazon, NBC, Apple TV, damn near Netflix, <laughs> Hulu, <laughs> uh, you know, HBO Max, everybody is going to be making a bid for the NBA. They're going to expand. The television contract is going to be about to be crazy. And this $59 million a year that Jalen could make is going to be pretty normal in about three to four years. Remember when we were once upon a time, oh, my God, he's making $20 million a year. Oh, my God, this person's making 30 Now it's 40 I think the last year Dame's contract is 60 and yeah. Like, <laughs> right? So this is going to be the normal NBA, you know, and I think people need to get off that number and understand it, that he there'll be plenty of players behind him when Jason makes 318 over five, which is my math is uh, 63.5 million dollars or six, $6 million a year. So he'll be paid more and all that. So all these guys, Jokic and all these superstars are going to be coming along uh, Luca and all these guys are all going to be in the 300 million, and I think I think probably Wimbayama might be the first 500 million dollar player. Uh, Jeez, yeah. I mean, uh, so think about that. So that's coming. So we can't get caught up in numbers. So I do think they agree to a deal. Mm. I think he f- feels secure, and I think they say, Jalen, we take care of you. That you take care of us. You. Get into that lab, and if you need a coach, we'll get you a coach. You need a ball handling coach. What is it that you need that we can get you to get to that next level? That's what I think should happen. Some strong, hard conversations of Jalen. We don't need to show you the tape. We know you know, but this is what we'd like you for you to do. Give us a list of coaches, and we can bring them on. Or if you you want, you got some some peoples. That you want to bring on Isaiah Thomas, you want to bring on some guys who are magicians and handling the ball to show you some tips. And you know, you can hire, work, whatever. We'll take care of you, you take care of us. Gary, before we move off of Jalen, I just gotta ask, is there a godfather offer, you know, that Brad Stevens would be able to wouldn't be able to refuse? Uh, I was tongue in cheek on another podcast the other day, actually yesterday, and having a conversation. I was like I was like, I, I don't know if there's a guy out there, save Damian Lillard, that they could potentially make a move for even at this stage. Even Durant now with some of his warrants, I think that ship has passed. And obviously he's in Phoenix now and no reason for Ishbia and company to make that move anyway. Um, but then I see a report, I think, or at least an article by Kevin O'Connor saying the exact same thing. You know, they should at least offer Brown for, for Damian Lillard. Is there a godfather player out there that Stevens would or do you think should at least consider, you know, for, for Jalen Brown? That's an interesting question, Warren. I don't. I think now they're not saying they open to trade him, but I think Lillard's a guy like you're trying to win a chip, and the the key to that trade would be the number three pick. If the Celtics are like, listen, we could get Dame, okay, who's got three to four more years of his prime left, maybe. Uh, if you maybe load manage him a little bit, you know, don't play him eighty two. He can play till he's 35, 30, 34, 35. I think he's 32 now. And then with that number three pick, Brandon Miller, uh, Scoot Henderson, uh, one of the Thompson brothers. Uh, is that a guy? And then suddenly you've got a 
potential cornerstone you could maybe pair with Jason uh, for years to come. I think that's something you have to think about. Now, I don't think it'll be that simple. Yeah. And I, and I think Portland will want more back than just Jalen if they're going to like, because that three, that number three pick suddenly becomes very interesting because people are talking about Scoot Henderson as a really big time player. And then Brandon Miller, despite his troubles, you've seen him at Alabama. I've seen him. I mean, he he got star written all over him. Yep. Now, if he keeps his head on straight, don't go jaw on us. Uh, you know, he could be a real star. So that's it, it, interesting. I don't think it's uh, possible. I don't think it says to be offering Jalen for the highest to the highest bidder. But they have to think about how can we maximize our championship window next year. And to me, I don't think you trade Jalen for that. I think personally you upgrade the backcourt and you add, and I don't know who needs to go. We can talk about that. Add somebody who can get into the paint, distribute. Your fourth quarter offense is still a problem. Yeah. Gary, let, let me let me tag it tag in on that one right there too, because I think same thing. I was asked the conversation, asked the question, and I was like, it's it's not a knock, not knocking Marcus Smart in any capacity, but there has to be somebody who can literally initiate and create offense for this team when you're just hanging out on the perimeter. Paint touches are a proven way to get better looks and then to draw defense in. And Boston just does not do enough of that. And that maybe goes back to a lot of maybe Missoula's schemes, so to speak. But one thing you talk about a team in the finals in Denver, people are going to, there's going to be not ball, just ball movement, but body movement, you know, by those Nuggets players. And Boston that hasn't been able to master that. So can they counteract maybe some of that by getting somebody who really can't get into the teeth of the defense? That is different from Marcus Smart. I'm not saying Marcus Smart has to go, but Derek White isn't that guy. Malcolm Brogdon apparently isn't that guy either, unfortunately. So you're right, though, because then now you would end up having a surplus of those guards. So not all of those guys can be there if you're bringing in somebody else, you know. And I don't necessarily need to play Russian roulette with who has to go, but I think you're right that uh, somebody who can actually dribble the basketball and create offense needs to come into this, come into this roster for them to have any type of sustainable success, especially when the offense gets stagnant, as we've seen it and maybe stop a run because like the, the mental state of when Boston kind of gets down, like they're to me, they're just this front running team when things are good and Hey, then they can ride high. But when it gets rough, they've had, they've had periods and more so more recently here now where they just, it just goes off the rails. And I don't know who that, what they need to do even outside of like uh, a guy, a point guard who can dribble, so to speak, or any, a guy who can dribble point guard or otherwise who can initiate offense. And then I think it's also about is Al Horford, does his voice resonate enough, you know, uh, on the sidelines? I'm not knocking Al. I think Al's great. What are your thoughts on kind of some of those, some of those statements? Yeah, Warren, I do think they need to restructure the backcourt because I think this is what happened. Okay. They got Malcolm Brogdon thinking Malcolm was going to be that, you know, calming influence in the fourth quarter. He was going to be able to dive into the paint, um, slash to the rim, get his get guys involved. We saw him do that in Indiana. We saw him do that in Milwaukee. But for whatever reason, he hasn't been that guy in Boston this year. Um, he can get to the rim, not a great finisher. I mean, I can't 
tell you how many bunnies he missed, especially in the playoffs. Um, solid three-point shooter, very good three-point shooter. But Malcolm has been more just of a, of a microwave kind of guy. Like, he is not running the offense with Marcus on the bench with six minutes left and an eight-point lead to secure the game. That just hasn't happened. And I think that's what they thought they were getting with Malcolm Brogdon. Now, I don't know if it's, well, you put me in a six-man role to score, so I'm a score. Or whether they don't think he can play point guard. And I think also, too, defensively, I think they thought Malcolm would be better. And he was being targeted, and he hasn't been better. Committing silly fouls. He had trouble against Harden. Uh, he had trouble early in the Miami series. Um, so I think they need to figure out, like you said, like I think they need somebody who can dive into the paint and it'll do, dish to Rob, dish to another big, maybe Al, and or who can create on their own. Like, you know, and that's a hard to find. Chris Paul is 38 years old. He ain't, Chris Paul ain't walking through that door. Right. But you need somebody who's a maestro. When you see him, he is controlling the pace. Marcus, as much as he tries, I think he does some very good things for this team. He's had a good, solid eight years in Boston. Um, or now nine. I think it was a 14 draft. Uh, he has his limitations. He's never going to be an elite shooter. He's not going to make a, jump, a, a 17, 18 foot off the pick and roll. Like, that's not his game. And he has worked on his post-up game at times, but that doesn't always, you know, then there's the questionable decision-making at critical times. Yeah. For me, there was that step-back three that he took in the first half as a dagger shot or a hero ball that, went, you know, Marcus, what are you doing? Some of these alley-oops, like some of the decision-making is not of a – premium point guard so how do you get one in what do you do do you Malcolm has two more years left on his deal at 21 million uh Marcus I think has three more years left on his deal so I think Derek White's safe I think he's shown that he can really help you got help those guys and uh defensively as a scoring spark getting to the rim hitting that floater but they need somebody with some speed you know, they need somebody, you know, and I don't know, like, uh, you know, do they, tip, do they, you know, they got the the, the kid, the two-way guy, J.D. Davidson. Now, I'm not saying, oh, start him. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Right. But they're tutoring him to be kind of a a point who can hit the three, who can get into the paint. He's fast as all get out. Like, do they work to develop him into, like, maybe a backup role? You know, if Peyton is gone. And do they give him an expanded role? Because now he was on a two-way. Do they bring him back to him? Like, what what do they have in mind for him? Um, so I do think they need to restructure the backcourt, Warren, because I just think White and Brogdon kind of duplicate each other, and they don't have a person. Because remember, like, they blew game two because their offense broke down in the fourth quarter, and they almost blew game six. Like, it's, it's continuously – this can't happen anymore. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, they blew game three of the finals, same way. Like, uh, sorry, the game four when your hatch has to go up 3-1. And to me, uh, like, they 
I think they can't keep saying, okay, Marcus, I think Marcus has proven, but I think they can change his role a little bit, you know, whether it's bring him off the bench, whether it's making him a two guard, um, kind of a hybrid, but the whole thing of like, like you said, like you don't run any pick and rolls with Tatum. Like just think of a guard who can run a pick and roll with Tatum and then, you know, and then hit that open 16 footer. Like it's like, it's easy. You know, they don't have that. That's not Marcus's game. That's not Malcolm's game. So what do you do? You got to get somebody to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in that. And, you know, before we close out, we'll, we'll touch a little bit more on some of the guys that who, who may seem to be unhappy with this roster, right. Or with their role, so to speak. So I don't know where Blake is. Obviously Blake's at the end of his career and he might be, you know, just be content to, to return or go seek, seek a championship somewhere else. If he can kind of get on there, don't know how he feels about not really being in the playoff rotation at all, but you mentioned Peyton Pritchard and we obviously know the situation of Grant Williams is, is also moving. Williams had some, some nice moments, you know, within the playoffs when he got consistent run. Um, I'm not, I'm not mad at him for, you know, going at Jimmy Butler in game two and whatever. And, you know, the proverbial poke the bear type stuff. I'm not really buying into that. I think Grant did what he needed to do and he needed to, he needed to provide some, some spark, you know, for that Celtics team. Um, but are those the pieces, are those the chips that maybe flesh some things out? Because do you, I, I know what I'm saying. Gallo, Gallo cannot play the defense that Grant does. But at the end of the day, if you need to move Grant, Grant Gallo can at least take those minutes, I guess, so to speak, right? And that is, does it allow you some sort of package with Williams and Pritchard to maybe get that play creator in some capacity um, that can help this team um, when, when times get rough? Uh, but what's your sense of those two players specifically and their roles? And do you think they'll be back with this team? Um, or again, you know, it's time for them to move on to try to figure out some other ways to play. Yeah, I think if you make Peyton is, I think is going to probably be non-tendered. Like, I think, I don't know if it's Joe, Brad, I don't know. Like ever since when Ime got there, remember the last, the first year of Brad, sorry, the first year of Peyton, the last year of Brad, Peyton had a role. Like he was, he looked like he was going to really help this team and become a, a reliable compliment. And then once Ime got there, that all stopped. So it's been two years now. Peyton feels like, and Peyton's not a young guy. He was a four-year college guy. So Peyton's on a, you know, 25, I want to say. So he's like, you know, 25. So he's not, he's trying to, you know, get paid, figure out a place to find, call home. He don't want to be out of the league. So yeah. I think he wants to move on. He, he told me, he wished he would have gotten traded at the deadline. He was hoping to get traded. And I think, you know, when that didn't happen, Blake Griffin, who was, was one of his close friends on the team, said, hey, man, that's the league business. Be professional. Play this out. Do your best. And you'll, um, you know, you'll find another home or whatever. You'll, you know, somebody will covet you because you're playing for 29 other teams, too. They're looking at you, too. So I think Peyton's gone. Grant. Uh, all depends on what he's asking for, what he'll agree to. If a team comes out the blue and makes him a four-year, $60 million offer, you know, what do you have in Grant? I think, I don't think Grant, I think Grant at, at his best is an NBA starter, like a, like a fourth option, fourth guy, like a guy who, you know, is going to just do the dirty work for you, hit the three, defend. I think he's good with that. 
But um, do the Celtics see that out of him? Or yes. is he going to continue to get jerked around with his playing time all year? I don't think he looks forward to that. And you don't pay a guy 12, 13, 14 million to do that. Uh, you know, or he could return next year without a contract. Sorry, in the final year of his deal and then be unrestricted. Right. In the summer of 24. That might be an option where, okay, Grant, like we don't owe you anything. Play out, play your ass off for us, and you know, set your market to where you can get that five-year, $75 million deal you think you're worthy of. So I think there's some options of him returning. I also think there's some options of him. I don't think being not, I don't think they'd give him away um, or whatever, non-tender him or whatever. But I, I do think with the right price, I think they bring him back. Okay. So you think Peyton gets non-tendered, no qualifying offer, Grant at least gets a qualifying offer, and then you see where the chips fall, you know, where they may from there. Woo, Gary, it's been great. Uh, it's been rough, I think, you know what I mean, uh, seeing seeing it end this way. But, you know, kudos to you and the great coverage you were able to provide throughout the entirety of the season and into the playoffs. And now, unlike the Celtics, you're still covering the finals. You'll still be at the finals. So your job is not done. But um, as I say in Game of Thrones, the Celtics watch has ended. Um, their season is now over. Um, and the offseason is here to come. And we'll see what Brad Stevens and company is able to do. Uh, that'll wrap it up here for Believe in Celtics brought to you by Bet Online. Again, he is the great Gary Washburn. Stay tuned to his finals coverage. Follow him on Twitter at G Washburn Globe. Again, I am Warren Shaw. Follow me at Shaw Sports NBA on Twitter. And that'll do it for this iteration of Believe in Celtics. We might be back here at some point, you know, uh, during during the draft, going into summer league and free agency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we want to thank you for rocking with us throughout the course of the regular season and the playoffs. Again, catch up with y'all next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.